I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. Very happy to welcome uh, Randy Wilkins. He's going to be with us in a little bit. Three-time Emmy Award-winning filmmaker. He's uh, directed the 30 by 30, 8632, which was the story of Roy Jones Jr.'s loss in the 88 Olympics. Got to check that out. Uh, Jackie Robinson Day, MLB's video last year with Mookie Betts. He was, uh, he was behind that. Uh, he directed the first episode of Deer, which is on Apple TV right now. Uh, you might have probably seen his work at Views from 314 Feet. He does great Yankees analysis. And, of course, he's directing the upcoming uh, documentary on Derek Jeter. The Captain should be out later this year. Uh, of course, keep an eye out for that. Randy will be buying a little bit to talk about it. The Mets, the New York Metropolitans. Mets are back, back in business. They started their... Spring schedule on Saturday night with a win in West Palm Beach. That was over the Nationals. Just a very quick recap. Uh, Luis Guillorme, Dom Smith, and Nick Plummer, who of course came over from the Cardinals. He was a highly regarded prospect. Fell off, kind of regained his footing last year, and the Mets plucked him right up. They all homered in the first off of national starter Josiah Gray, who was of course the... uh, the top prospect going back in the Trey Turner deal last year, him and uh, the catcher Kiebert Ruiz. Um, Josiah Gray, of course, started the game last night. Guillaume went the opposite way for a leadoff home run. J.D. Davis uh, got on base in front of in front of Dom Smith. Dom Smith hit an opposite field home run of his own. Uh, this is, of course, after hitting two home runs off of Max Scherzer on Friday in the inter-squad game. Dom Smith, for his career, is 0 for 16 versus Scherzer with seven strikeouts. He won't have to face Max Scherzer for a while, so he should be good there. Uh, And, of course, Nick Plummer, who also homered later in the inning, uh, also went to the opposite field. So I'm sure there's not much (laughs) to read into there regarding all three going to the opposite field, but still very good to see. We didn't see it. We listened to it, which was awesome hearing Howie and Wayne back on a WFAN. That was, um, uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) on 880, excuse me, my, uh, my age is showing. Uh, but really it, it felt real again to hear Howie and Wayne. And then on Sunday, of course we had, uh, the, the, the best booth in baseball back. Gary, Keith, and Ron on SNY, and of course, uh, of course, Steve Gelbs. Can't forget about Gelbs. Gelbs was great on Sunday, by the way. A um, lot of laughs interviewing Showalter. Uh, McGill, I think, got a chuckle in there. It just, you know, Gelbs is one of the best. I mean, look what Burkhart was able to do. He's probably going to take over Joe Buck's seat, at least on the football side. We'll see about baseball uh, now that Buck's left for... ESPN is going to do Monday night, right? Yeah. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, great to see those guys back. And, and, you know, it took a little while for the Mets to get going on Sunday. But, you know, no big deal. It was still, uh, you know, kind of the second game of spring. Like, you don't read into too much. Um, although I will read into Tyler McGill, who looked – his control was a little off. His command was a little off. He walked three guys in three innings, but didn't let anybody score. So uh, five base runners? Yeah, two hits, three walks, three strikeouts. No earned runs. Worked around trouble, something that he did so well last year. Uh, David Peterson started the game. He did run into some trouble. Uh, three innings, five hits, four earned runs, a strikeout, a walk. He threw strikes. Just He was getting them right over the, the heart of the plate. But, hey, okay, this is what spring training is for. Uh, Dustin Carlson and Paul Goldschmidt both took Peterson deep. He, he uh, left with a 4 nothing deficit. So – both Carl Carlson absolutely crushed this ball, but uh, 107.3 miles per hour off the bat, 420 feet. It was a three-run homer, and then Goldschmidt, his home run was exactly the same: 107.3 miles an hour, 420 feet. Very nice. Um, and yeah, you know the Mets they they made a run. I think they scored a few runs later in the game. Sorry, I was I was taking care of family stuff, but uh, not a whole lot of offense to speak of. Robinson Cano had a base hit. Uh, Mark Fientos had a base hit late in the game. Uh, Brett Beatty came in, got a got an at bat, uh, two at bats, two plate appearances. He walked and uh, scored a run. Uh, James McCann had a little, uh, I think it was broken bat base hit, if I remember correctly. Ronnie Mauricio came in the game, and Ronnie Mauricio is, uh, I think Gary Cohen put it at. 30, 40 pounds he put on. I would probably say 25, 20, 25 pounds. But Ronnie Mauricio is is officially a uh, a brick shithouse. This, 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 this young man, he's 20 years old, and he is just a uh, a unit. <laughs> Boy, his, uh, his, his biceps must have tripled in size. His arm, his entire body, he's just gotten so thick. And I think we saw that starting to take place last spring training. Uh, spring training, yeah, that was last year. And, and you know, Ronnie, he was coming together. When he first came around, everyone saw the pictures, the baseball cards. Just a, a string bean of a kid, gangly. You know, you got to remember, we were seeing a kid at 17. He's 20 now. And, and he looks more like Jason Dominguez does from the Yankees. Just, just absolutely huge. Just I'm very excited. If you listen to the show in the past, you're familiar with my affinity for uh, for Ronnie Mauricio, and I think that uh, very, very bright future ahead of him. And I think Gary was saying it on the broadcast on Sunday. Everyone was kind of waiting for the the maturity of Ronnie Mauricio, and not just as a you know we're talking about like body maturity and, and filling out and stuff like that. And now that he's kind of come into his own in that sense or in that in that regard, oh, I think all the confidence in the world and, and I'm hoping that he doesn't try too hard to hit for power because now that he's got that bulk behind him, just make contact. It's going to go. Um, oh, very excited. Francisco Alvarez is up in the uh, – is up in big league camp. I'm not sure if he got any reps today. He did not. But uh, he was – I did see pictures of him catching Trevor May's bullpen earlier in the week. And they were mixing it up, and that's cool to see. But baseball season, it's just – everything's 
back. It's all coming back. It's it's just it's uh it's exciting. It, it it's what we were waiting for. I mean, for what? I would say a good solid month or so there. You when shit got really really ugly between the union and the league during the lockout, there were points that we we honestly I didn't know if we were going to have even close to a full baseball season. I didn't. I don't want to say they would have let a whole season go by. I don't think anybody would have let that let that happen. But oh, I was more than prepared for June first opening day. I swear, uh, just very exciting. You know, the Mets are going all out. Uh, of course, they <laughs> the landscape has changed a bit. I would say since uh, since the Mets really did put all the bells and whistles on their roster this week um, or this off season. I mean, just this week alone, you saw. The Dodgers, uh, you know, the Dodgers are always doing something to to bring themselves around. But um, they plucked Freddie Freeman after his, you know, I never expected Freddie Freeman to leave the Braves, but here he is uh, in Dodger blue. But, uh, yeah, Atlanta kind of let that all happen, which is kind of sad and, and, and wrong if you think about it. Like, this is your franchise cornerstone. Um he stuck through all of the the downtimes. Finally, brings your team a World Series, and you let him walk for over a year, over a year on your contract. He signed a six year extension with LA, a six year contract with LA. Excuse me. And Atlanta was only offering a five year contract per reports. That's um, it's despicable. It really is, but. Again, Atlanta had had their options, and then they went. You know, they made their decisions. They went and acquired Matt Olson from Oakland for a cachet of prospects. I do like Kristen Pache a lot. Um, I think that he's going to turn into a uh, more than just a glove first outfielder, center fielder, I believe. Um, yeah, just uh, Shay Langoliers too. Shay Langoliers is is good. I, I'm curious to see where Sean Murphy ends up if uh, if they're going to go with a a dual-headed monster of a backstop in Murphy and Langoliers. That's a that's a formidable pair. But, um, yeah, the Braves, they let Freeman go. They bring in Olsen. Uh, Eddie Rosario's back on a, on a two-year deal. Kenley Jansen, who was in L.A. for so long, another guy you never expected to leave. I thought him and Kershaw were locks to go back. Kershaw did. Jansen is now in, uh, in L.A. So they're, you know, they're going to be fine. Um, I'm sorry, Jansen is in, a, is in a Atlanta. Um, you know, they're they're going to be right back in the thick of things. The Phillies went out and got Kyle Schwarber. They got Nick Castellanos. They already have Harper, Hoskins, Real Muto. Uh, you know, you look at their rotation. I, I really like Nola still. Zach Wheeler's going to win a Cy Young, whether it's this year, next year. He's going to win a Cy Young very soon. Um yeah, oh, imagine if the Mets had someone like Zach Wheeler. Go! Ah, anyway. And then you got L.A. who gets Freeman, and now they have, you're looking at a core of Freeman, Moogie Betts, Trey Turner, Justin Turner, Will Smith, Cody Bellinger, Chris Taylor, Gavin Lux, who I'm a huge believer in Gavin Lux, Walker Bueller, Julio Arias, Clayton Kershaw, uh, I'm missing somebody. Andrew Haney. Uh, the bullpen. It's going to be a dogfight in the um, in the National League this year. It really is. In a seven game series, yeah, the Mets might have done. They've gone you know 
above and beyond to make this a contending ball club. But boy, in the span of a week, you saw the power just the landscape just shift. It, it was it, it's something, and I'm almost waiting for the Mets to go out and, and, and make another move. But you know. Carlos Correa goes and signs in, in Minnesota for three years, $105 million with opt-outs after the first and second year. I said it on Twitter this week. I said, boy, if Correa is really going to go out and, and, and entertain short-term deals, I thought maybe he was going to look for a one-year deal, but this is essentially a one-year deal. Um, I was hoping the Mets would maybe throw their hat in, at least poke around, see if he – he said he wanted to play third base – uh, or he said he would be open to playing third base. You know, you build a super team, especially you got the Dodgers and the and the Braves and the Phillies all making their moves. You know, if you're really jockeying for position for for a World Series, I know it's a 162 games until we even talk about the World Series, but you know, you have to almost keep up with the Joneses. And if you got money to spend, which the Mets they have tons of money to spend. Um, you know, Cohen said he, that he'd be fine going over the two hundred million, uh, two hundred and ninety million Cohen tax. He even joked about it. He said, uh, "Oh, uh, better than having a bridge named after you, as far as having the tax named after him." But he already, they already said that they expect to go over that threshold. I think they're at two hundred eighty-five million right now. You know, you add what did Correa get? Thirty-five million. Get three fifteen, three twenty. It, it's you know, it's uh. What's thirty million between a, a, a fan base that's been dying for a championship for oh gosh, how long? Thirty six years. Yeah, thirty six years. It's close. You can feel it that they, they're they've taken steps they haven't taken in a real long time to get it there. But you know, um, as long as the rest of the league is making moves, you're going to have to eventually get over these humps. And and I do like the team that's in place. That's not to say that that. Dom Smith, who, of course, really looking really, really good so far. Um, Dom Smith and, and J.D. Davis and Eduardo Escobar and, 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 you know, Mark Canna. All these guys, you know, they might not be, uh, you know, an all-star team. Well, you know, I shouldn't say that because these guys are all all-star quality players. I think Canna can get there. Eduardo Escobar is a 30-homer player. Plays all around the infield and plays it pretty well. All these guys hit with with runners in scoring position. I noticed on Saturday, poking around on Fangraphs, only one player in the Mets roster on the Mets projected starting lineup has a strikeout percentage over 20.7%, or I said 21%. Now, league average is like 23.2% strikeout rate. Seven of the eight Mets regulars were at 20.7% or lower. Clearly, the Mets are, are trying to build something specific here. They, they're looking for guys who don't strike out. Put the ball in play, good things will happen. We've heard that forever. If you're going out and, and, and you're able to combine the data with production and, and put lineups out there and get matchups in your favor, that are conducive to success, then, then, you know, then you can keep up with these teams. 
in the same breath, you can also say, ah, oh, you know, if a Correa's out there, maybe make a push. Oh, if a Trevor Story is out there and he's willing to move around uh, the infield, maybe you make a push. Trevor Story ended up signing in Boston on Sunday morning. Six years, $140 million, $23.3 million a year. Um, I believe he's going to play second or may possibly third base, depending what they want to do with Devers. Um, of course, Xander Bogarts is the shortstop in Boston. Xander Bogarts can, of course, opt out of his deal after this season. So, you know, the Red Sox are protecting themselves against that. But, and, you know, you can look at the Mets and say, oh, well, you know, maybe you try a little harder for a third baseman and, 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 and make your bench and Eduardo Escobar, Davis, Dom, and plug those guys in all over the time. And I really think Davis is set for a – a bench bat, a strictly bench bat position. And, and I think that's fine because Davis can rate. J.D. Davis has a, a tremendous offensive ceiling. Um, Don Smith, <laughs> terrific fielding first baseman, worked his ass off to be a major league playable left fielder. And, and if his bat's back too, I mean, he's going to get reps probably in both spots as well as D.H. pinch hitter. Oh, how's the pinch hitter going to? There's not going to be a pinch hitter anymore. Ugh. Well, yeah. When's a, really? How often do you see a pinch hitter in the American League? Funny. Anyway, back to what I was saying. If the Mets really do want to go out and, and, and reinforce things to another level, shit, go for it. I mean, you can even go out and add a fourth outfielder to the mix. I've been talking about Jorge Soler all offseason. Shout out to Chris Simon. One of, one of our uh, photographers at the Apple, also a photographer for our friends at Cone Last Basis Full. Hey, hey guys. Um, he brought it up. This is this has got to be December. He said, hey, Jorge Soler could really fit well here. He could. He ended up signing a three-year, $36 million deal in Miami. Also has opt-outs after year one and year two. He's going to go down to Miami, hit 40 home runs for $12 million, and get like $20 million plus next year. I'm happy for him, but I really think the Mets could have taken advantage of that. We talked on the show previously about Solaire's defense. You know, in Kansas City, he wasn't playing a whole lot of outfield. Once he got to Atlanta last year, they had him out there almost every night, and he consistently got better. I mean, it was, it was marginal progress, but he got better throughout the year. Michael Conforto. And I'm going to end it on Michael Conforto, but, you know, Michael Conforto is a... He's a solid player. And in, in an outfield that potentially would consist of Starling Marte, Brandon Nimmo, Mark Hanna, and Michael Conforto, nobody would be a quote-unquote fourth outfielder. Your, your spare outfielders would be your Donald Smiths, maybe Khalil Lee or Nick Plummer, whoever makes the roster, if either of them make the roster out of camp. But it would be a rotation. Now the Mets have that data to kind of make those rotations work. Same thing, playing to the strengths that we were saying earlier. But I would still kind of like to see another addition. Keep up with the uh, with the competition and 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 really, you know, make make a make a push. Maybe you give Cleveland a call. Maybe you say, hey, what's it going to take to get Jose Ramirez in Flushing by opening day? And they're going to say everybody in the farm system. And then he got to start negotiating, but you know, um, we'll see where they go. I, I, I wouldn't close the door on another edition. That's what I'm, 
going to say, and I'm going to leave it at that. We're going to take a very quick break and then welcome Randy Wilkins to the show. We're going to talk about our uh, our crosstown quote-unquote rivals, which they're not our rivals, but you know, it kind of plays things up. So we're going <laughs> to we're going to go ahead and move along with that. Hang tight. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back. Very happy to have with us three-time Emmy Award-winning filmmaker, director of 8632, which was the story of Roy Jones Jr.'s loss in the 88 Summer Olympics. Definitely check that out. Uh, It's behind the Jackie Robinson Day tribute video, which was narrated by Mookie Betts last year, if you caught that. Excellent, excellent little video. if you've seen Deer, which is a series on Apple TV with uh, uh, Randy's the director of the first episode, which was uh, with Spike Lee, which Randy's done a bunch of work with Spike Lee. And I just found this today and it's on my watch list now. Docket 32357, which is a short film on Amazon Prime. If you're a subscriber, um, I was reeled in by the trailer and it's on my list. Randy, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And of course, um, you might have seen Randy's work on uh, his Yankees analysis at views from 314 feet, as well as, his, uh, I'm sure, a bunch of buzz going around about the upcoming documentary, uh, The Captain, which is, uh, of course, about Derek Jeter. And uh, Randy's uh, at the helm of that. That must be an exciting experience. Yeah, it's been crazy to see so many of uh uh, the the men that I looked up to uh, as a younger Yankees fan, to see them in the flesh, be able to shake their hands and talk to them and, um, you know, just kind of relive some of the glory years for those guys. And for me as a fan, it's, it's been awesome. Derek's great. His family's great. So, um, yeah, the film's going to be great as well. Now, do you guys have a release date yet or is it still 2022? Uh, just this year, not yet. Nothing official yet. Looking forward to it. I mean, just speaking from personal experience, I mean, I, I was so in the Subway series was 2000. I was 17. So I was right in the thick of it. And I, of course, grew up a Mets fan. Just speaking from my personal like experiences, I, I can't help but admire Derek Cheater. Um, I know Mets fans generally don't agree with me. I mean, my brother 
Phil. He was uh, never a fan. And, uh, you know, we were right next to each other watching games the whole time. I mean, to me, 3,400 hits don't lie. There's, there's no getting around that. His argument was always, oh, well, you put Derek Jeter on the Milwaukee Brewers. Is he still Derek Jeter? I say yes, because the body of work is there. From a Yankees fan perspective, I feel that it's, a, it's an interesting question. Do you think Derek Jeter is still Derek Jeter if he's not a New York Yankee? Uh, I think we have to be more specific about is Derek Jeter Derek Jeter. Do I think he still gets 3,400 hits? Yes. Um, do I think he has five rings? No. Um, is he the face of baseball? Probably not. Um, so I'm not – I think the production would be there, but I think the reverence for him, the um, the way that he was able to transcend the Yankees and transcend Major League Baseball probably doesn't happen. I think that it was kind of a um, symbiotic relationship between Derek and the Yankees just in the context of his own personal growth and the various directions he was able to go, go in. But I think as a player, I don't think the, the uniform really – Matter. I think he was just a Hall of Fame level talent that cashed in on it and maximized it. Um, his approach to the game, his attitude um, about winning and all those things that, that people generally know about, you know, isn't really dictated by the team you're on. It's dictated by the person. So um, I think all the personal accolades, maybe outside of the, the team um, success, uh, would have been the same, but I don't. I mean, I don't think he's a five-time world champion if he's if he's on a different team. See, I guess, and, and where I get hung up on this is that I think if you put Derek Jeter through his career on the on the Colorado Rockies, I know they had some competitive teams for some years there, but if he's on a smaller market team and, and he's not in that same position he is with the Yankees. I'm curious to see whether that. I mean, of course, we've all seen the, the legendary drive and just that that will to be excellent, that will to go next level um, that he exhibited through his career, just, of course, from a very outside perspective. I'm curious to see how that would pan out in, 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 in an organization that you're not quite living up to expectate, not living up to history, but making history. And, of course, he made his own history as well. But I guess it's just, I, I mean, of course, if we had a, if we could control these things, I guess we could play it out. But I guess that's what I was always hung up on is that I think if you put Derek Jeter somewhere, that drive to succeed, um, I think could have taken any major league franchise and, and pushed him to the next level. I just, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think he wins a championship or two for sure. I yeah. mean, I don't, I think he, I think he's a champion regardless. I mean, he, I mean, if you're thinking about those Yankees teams, he he is the difference between like the 95 Yankee team and the 96 Yankees team. Um, sure. Uh, and I know that they had great players there, but he, I mean, he kind of became the leader right away for that team and it was filled with veterans. So I, I think Derek Jeter's a champion either way. I just think five-time champion <laughs> is like incredibly hard to do. And I think that that was just a special time in Yankees history and he was at the front of it. And I think he was um, the the engine that, that pushed them there. Um it's just hard to imagine with other franchises that don't that didn't have an owner like George Steinbrenner that didn't have the expectation and standard of winning. Um, 
that another organization would have had the run that the Yankees did. I think part of it is just an organizational culture that the Yankees have that other organi- or other organizations don't have. So I think Derek's competitive nature and the Yankees' competitive nature under George Steinbrenner just matched perfectly. So I think that Jeter did everything, but also the organization matched that as much as they could. And I question other organizations going to those lengths to do what George Steinbrenner did. So to, to me, that's the difference. Um, but yeah, I, I firmly believe Derek would have won a couple championships somewhere else for sure. Well, I guess what you were speaking to that, that, that lightning in a bottle of, of an, of an organization that wants to win, expects to win and a player who, who kind of feels the same way, I guess that was, um, that's the alchemy right there. That's, that's a, it's, it's what, as a fan of, of any team, that's what you're waiting for your team to do. And yeah, I think the Yankees, you know, encapsulated that entire era of just, it, it was almost businesslike. It, it was lunch pail baseball. They just went to work and, and yeah, they, they had, you know, all the amenities and they had large payrolls, but from, at least from a Mets fans perspective, I mean, through the dynasty, I could do nothing but admire a team who was actively trying to win a championship every year. And they were doing it up until, I mean, (laughs) right now the Yankees don't look exactly like we used to the Yankees looking like, but you know, from a Mets fan who's (laughs) really just getting into, Oh wow. Our, our owner has money and he's willing to spend money. Um, Just from afar, it was always so uh, again, I admired it. You have to tip your hat to a team that's trying every single year, but I guess this year's Yankees, um, not so much. <laughs> They're passing <laughs> on some on some big names, which is uncharacteristic. Uh, you know, they they're making moves, and and I, and I do like bringing in Donaldson and Connor Falefa. And I, where are you at with what this team is doing? They kind of let Correa go by. You'd have to imagine they were in on him. Story goes to the Red Sox. The pitching staff really hasn't been tinkered with. I mean, is this the same? <sighs> Are we seeing a shift in, in, in the organization's priorities? Um, I, I don't know if I would go that far, but I think what's going on here is that they have two shortstop prospects that they really like. I think that it is very clear that Hal Steinbrenner um, does not have the penchant to just spend um, in the – in the or like swim in the deep free agent pool. Like, I mean, that is very obvious at this point. Um, and I think that the Yankees address deficiencies that were very obvious last year, but didn't in a way that nobody wanted them to do it. So, you know, as a Yankees fan, you're well aware of how terrible the middle infield defense is or was, um, particularly with labor tours at short. And I had said for a couple of years that the middle of the diamond and the middle of the infield for the Yankees was their biggest weakness. Um, and they never addressed it. And I, I felt like they exacerbated it when they moved Glaber to short. I, I said way before anybody else that Glaber wasn't a shortstop. Um, I thought it was pretty obvious. And I think in different parts of the, the field, especially up the middle, the defense just wasn't good enough. And I think that they finally realized that and pivoted to a more defense first approach at certain positions, believing that the bounce backs of guys like LeMahieu and Gallo while he was with the Yankees um, 
uh, maybe Rizzo being a little bit better, uh, Donaldson coming in that, you know, the and Hicks being healthy and hopefully being like the 2019 Hicks, that all those bounce backs along with the improved defense will get them to where they need to be. So I think that there's a shift in their focus, um, but they certainly didn't go execute a plan in the way that myself or like most Yankees fans wanted or expected them to do. Um, they just, they just took a different uh, route to get to where I think everyone knew that they needed to get to. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a combination of a lot of things going on, but I, in a vacuum, I like their moves. I think Donaldson is way better than Gio Urshela. Um, he's certainly better than him offensively. Uh, I think IKF is going to make a huge difference defensively. The catcher, the catching position is awful. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's embarrassing. Like, it's embarrassing. I don't know what made them go in that direction other than defense first thing. Not, um, not a Higgy fan? Ah, uh, nah, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. So... I mean, again, they made improvements. I think they would be better, but they had a chance to be really good at certain positions and they just didn't want to pay the money. I mean, it just came down to that, really. It's just, and, and you know, as a New York fan, and I think even Mets fans listening to the show can agree. I mean, this is just very uncharacteristic. And I, and I think you made a good point with the future is extremely bright. I mean, Anthony Volpe, I'm a big fan of Everson Pereira. Mm-hmm. Um, Oswald Peraza. Oswald, uh, there's another one. There's Cabrera. Another Oswald. Sorry. Cabrera. Cabrera. Yeah, thank you. Had a good home run today. Grand Slam. We had a Grand Slam today. Oh, my goodness. Jason Dominguez. I mean, the, the future is very, very bright. You've got some young pitchers who I, I like. I like Luis Hill a lot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Davey Garcia, you know, tremendous stuff. I think Abreu could really be a piece, whether he's going to be in the bullpen or in the rotation. There's there's a there's a core there. You just you're almost waiting for the other foot to drop all winter. Like, all right, well, the Yankees are going to go ahead and make a push. It's an extremely tough division. Um I think the Mets are probably playing with that same set of cards right now where, you know, you almost have to keep up. And, um, you know, this, I think New York baseball is just a more lively place when both teams are competitive and whether we saw it in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands, literally just those two years, 99 and 2000. But, (laughs) um, you know, it's, there's an almost an electricity to, to, to baseball in New York and, you know, Again, from from a Mets fan's perspective, you were kind of waiting for the Yankees to 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 play catch up, even not just in their division, but with the Mets. And I wanted to ask you, do you see the Mets and the Yankees as a as a rivalry? No, no, me neither. I, it was that was never my thing. And I think fans, like of course, the fan bases get get passionate. And you know, I remember when the Subway Series first started, like the um the 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 regular season games, and they, you know that. If you went to the Bronx on a, you know, on a weekend series, on a Friday night game in a Mets jersey, you know, I mean, you're in trouble in those in those yep. series. It was just yep. how it was like, you know, it, it was very fired up and it almost lost it lost its luster over the years. You know, unless it's the World Series, I just I never saw them as as rivals. But, you know, you almost want them to get back to that point. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, there's a geographical in city uh, rivalry, but I don't really think about the Mets and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean, they're, they're just, they're not in our division. Yeah. The AL East is like tough as hell so, <laughs> you know, on those teams. And you also just see those teams more. So yeah. I think 
you know, you see the Mets six times a year. The series are like split up over like a pretty significant amount of time. So I think and Mets fans have to deal with like the world champions and the long time rivals in Atlanta. You got to deal with the, the bums down in Philly. <laughs> you know, you have you already have these other rivalries that both the Yankees and the Mets are dealing with. So I think when the Yankees and the Mets get together, there's electricity for those moments, but I don't think the Yankees fans are thinking about the Mets. And I don't, I generally think Mets fans aren't really thinking about the Yankees. So I don't, it doesn't feel like a rivalry. Like I'm thinking more about the Red Sox and the Rays than I am the Mets, even though we're in the same city, I'll watch Mets games. I mean, I've gone to Mets games. I'll watch Mets games. Like I don't really, I don't really have like a dislike for the Mets. I have a very strong dislike for the Red Sox and the Rays. So in the Astros, I don't really put the Mets in that category. I'm the same exact way. I, if the Mets aren't on, I'll turn on. Yes, and, and and I'm perfectly fine watching them. You know, growing up on Long Island, I had friends that were Yankee. I have family members that are Yankee fans. It's just how mm-hmm. it is. Yep. You know, um, I think there's certainly a little brother syndrome with a lot of Mets fans when it comes yep. to comparing themselves to the Yankees or comparing the Mets to the Yankees. It's you know it. it it's a it's a rivalry to an extent, but on the field, no, I never I never really subscribe to all that. But you know, certainly waiting for things to to reach its peak again. Uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not sure how old you are, but this you know the Subway Series that was an exciting time. Just to tie it back into Jeter. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little older than you, so <laughs> I'm a couple years older. So I was in college when the Subway Series happened. So right, yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, there was a lot of excitement, and I think that there have been years where both teams are good at the same time, and, like, that intensity is ratcheted up. Um, I think that that will happen this year. Um, also think that there's just a lot of talent on both teams. You know, I don't know everything about the Mets and what they're doing, mm-hmm. uh, just because I pay attention to the Yankees more, but – sure. I mean, I, I know that there's a lot of talent on the Mets. I know that they probably need to settle more of their outfield a little bit more. And um, pitching staff, obviously, is going to be great if everybody's healthy. Um, Lindor hopefully bounces back, all that stuff. So I think that there is going to be this year, I've, and especially with the two different off seasons. I think that there'll be more intensity this year than in past years. I think the stuff that happened with Stanton and Lindor uh, will add to it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it might it might turn a corner a little bit because they're both good teams yeah. that, uh, you know, in different ways are going for it from the way that they view is the best way to go for it. So I think that both teams will be good and will have good seasons. And then, you know, we'll see what happens. Hey, you know, it should be exciting. Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to a, a renewed uh, renewed battles in, in the Subway Series during the regular season. Again, it's always fun when they're more exciting. I, I will have, say, though, I will say when that game with San and Lindor happened, I was, like, fired up. Like, I was ready, yeah. to, I was ready to fight somebody. Like <laughs> It was back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, and that's, like, the, those are the little things that we're talking Like, you know, you, you get that stuff all the, all the time in an interdivision game. Um, you know, and, and the, it, just the, the Subway series, just it kind of went stale. And yeah, uh, hopefully it, it kind of builds off the, the drama that was there last year. I did have a question about the filmmaking side, just the creating side, just, you know, the, the 
how far you've gone in your career and where and, and still where you're headed. But if you could sum up the decision you made, I don't know when this was in your childhood, but the decision is saying, I'm going to create and, and to where you are now, could you sum up that process in a word? Like, does it still shock you? Does it still blow your mind? Or was this like, was this manifested for a long time? I mean, I would say shocking. I didn't, I didn't make a decision to do this. Uh, there wasn't a moment where I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. It just kind of happened by divine events, I guess. Yeah. Um, it wasn't something that I wanted to be when I was a kid. I had no intention of <laughs> being a filmmaker. Uh, I didn't think that I was a creative. Um, I was a really good student at really good schools that was also a good athlete. And, you know, if I didn't play professionally, I thought I was going to law school. So um, I never really tapped into the creative side until my senior year in college when it happened by accident, because I needed to take a, an art class to graduate on time. And the only art class that was available was a video narrative course. And I had dropped out of three arts classes in my college career before that class. So I certainly didn't think that I was going to end up in the arts. But as soon as I took that class within maybe the first 20 minutes, like there was an immediate kind of natural connection to what I was hearing and what I was seeing and what I was feeling. Like it felt like I understood the language immediately and something clicked. And then there was just a part of me that kept saying, oh, well, I shouldn't, you know, I should pursue it because I understand it and I feel something. Uh, and then I met Spike and he gave me a recommendation to go to NYU graduate film school. And then that was the moment, I guess, when it was like, all right, well, I'm going to, sincerely try this and see what happens and then it went from there so there wasn't it was manifested by me but like the seed was planted by something much larger than me because i had i had no intentions of pursuing this i didn't even know that film was accessible like that like it felt like magic on the screen when i went to the theater like i didn't even think about the fact that there's a process to make it it was just like on the screen um so yeah i mean it there wasn't totally divine. I mean, uh, somebody put me in a position to, to pursue this. I don't know who that is or what that is, but um, I'm happy that it happened because it, it feels like I found my calling. I'd say so, man. I mean, just as a fan watching you work and, 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 and taking it all in and absorbing it, it's just, you feel the, um, <clears throat> what's the word I'm looking for? You can almost feel the passion in it. I mean, what was the um, the Pepsi bodega spot with Jesus and uh, Jesus and Mero? Mm -hmm. That was, you know, I mean, I'm from Long Island, but still, we have a, we have a bodega in town. I mean, everyone in, in New York or around New York kind of just, you know, you, you almost felt it. Um, just really the, the, the journey mm -hmm. to get there, what you've accomplished, man. Nothing but congratulations. This is um, really uh, extremely mm -hmm. exciting, even from afar. Thank you. I appreciate that. Randy, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing some time. And hopefully during the season, we could do it again. Yes, for sure. Go, uh, go Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Give it to them. It's fine. Um, where can everybody find you on, on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, ranting or rambling about something at uh, Pam Sun, P-A-M-S-S-O-N. Uh, so you can find me there and 
uh, read my nonsense about the Yankees. <laughs> Definitely do that. And you get some good Niners, uh, Niners analysis. In oh, there. yeah. Go Niners. Go Niners. <laughs> I don't know why Jimmy G is still on the Niners, but hopefully that changes soon. Oh, you got a long off season. Well, I'm a Giants fan, so I mean. Oh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm still. I swear, I'm still riding high off our two Super Bowls, man. I don't. I, it it could have been last year in my head. I really don't care. <laughs> That's the only thing you have left right now. So, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, not for long. Yeah. Randy, again, thank you so much. Again, um, can't wait to see when the, the captain comes out, and, and of course, um, we'll be happy to have you back on when, when it when it does. All right, thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. All right, guys. All right, guys. You guys know all know the sign off. It's let's fucking go, Mets. We'll see you next week. And uh, yeah, take care.